welcome to the well. I am Brandon Edgens, and Hanson is not here. But that's okay, because this episode is part two of Drop Number 16, which was a conversation about the incredible film Athena, and we're not done talking about it. And in the last episode, we heard a little bit from film critic Bilga Abiri. He's a friend of ours. And by way of introducing Bilga, I am just going to read uh, Sight Unseen. What does the internet have to say about my friend Bilga? I've never looked him up. Uh, the Vulture says Bilga Abiri is a film critic for New York and Vulture. His work has appeared in The Village Voice, The New York Times, Rolling Stone, and The Criterion Collection. And then let's see... He has a Wikipedia page. Bilga Berry, born in 1973, actually just a few weeks after me. We're, we're the same age. He is an English-born American journalist and filmmaker. His first feature film, a comedy thriller entitled New Guy, <laughs> New Guy was released in 2004. Hey, I shot that movie with our friend Chuck. Bilga studied film at Yale University, where his thesis film, Bad Neighborhood, won the Lamar Prize for Achievement in Film. I didn't even know that. Well, you learned all kinds of interesting things about your friends when you look them up on Wikipedia for the first time. Anyway, he stopped by a couple of weeks ago to talk about Athena, a film he's very excited about, a film we're very excited about. And this is the rest of that conversation I had with Bilga. I hope you enjoy it. He is not only my friend, but he is now a friend of the show. And therefore, your friend. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Hi, yeah, 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 like that, like that. Is it, I'm going to introduce you as friend of the show. Can I do that? Please, yeah. Okay, great. So, Bilga uh, has accepted our friend invitation. Um, so, we're here to talk about. Athena and the way I came to it the way I found out about it was through a scribble am I not remembering this correctly didn't you take a picture of the notes you were taking yeah during your during the press during the critic screening yeah and it's it's funny to call to even call it a critic screening because I was the only person in the room um it was what? I believe it was I had this date uh, memorized until not long ago. I think it was August 11th or something like that. Um, and uh, Netflix had invited me to see this movie uh, at their theater, at the Paris Theater, which they own. And it was like nine in the morning or something like that. Um, I had talked to their publicist about the films that they were going to have uh, at the Venice Film Festival, which I was going to be covering. Um and that was this was one of the films, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm intrigued by that. I didn't know anything about the film. All I knew was that it was directed by Romain Gavras, who's made a couple other films and noted music video director. And I know him mainly as the son of Costa Gavras, the legendary Greek French political filmmaker. Um, so I was intrigued, but I didn't know anything about the subject. I just knew it was a movie called Athena, um, and I said, oh, I want to see that. And they were like, okay, well, we'll we can set something up. Um, you know, Netflix had the number of high-profile movies at the Venice Film Festival, but Athena was actually one of the lower-profile ones, so it was kind of easy to get them to arrange a screening of it. Uh, and I think other critics were invited, but, you know, it was a, a summer morning in August. Who the heck was going to go? So I went there. Um, I saw the film, uh, and, you know, I was taking notes because I didn't know if I would get a chance to see it again um, before I had to write about it or if I had to write about it. And it just 
just I mean just blew my head off my shoulders um and I and I you know I was I was writing I was trying to because when I take notes during a movie I try not to take notes during movies actually because it's it's just so much work and because I don't really know what information I'm going to need when I finally sit down to write my review so I try to write down everything that's happening and even like the, the the shots, like not just what's happening, but also like what the shots are like, cut too close up, cut to this. And so when you start writing down what's happening on screen in Athena, your your mind just starts doing like these weird loops because it's kind of insane. And so after a certain point, I, I, I could, I, I just stopped making any sense in my notes. It was just like, holy shit, holy shit, what's happening now? Oh my God, I can't believe this, you know? And yeah, oh God, the flames, the flames. The flames, the flames. Yeah. What's funny is that a lot of people, you know, when they did see Athena, you know, a lot of people really liked it, but there were some critic friends of mine who were like, yeah, the first 11 minutes are great, but then the movie, you know, doesn't live up to that. And I was just like, first of all, the thing I should note is those notes, none of those were from the first 11 minutes of the movie. A lot of them were from later in the film because I, in my mind, the film just, never let up it just escalated and escalated and became more and more impressive and powerful um so 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 that was kind of the thing and then of course i took a picture of that and posted it on twitter because i was like this is very funny i couldn't name what movie it was but some people did a couple of critic friends and i think you too at the time you know dm me and said we're like what the hell movie is this and i told them <laughs> what it was and i think i actually convinced a couple of other critics to go see athena Thanks to that, um, but yeah, and then since then I've I've seen the film uh, many times. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you you know you you know that's your job. You tweet a lot about movies. That's your job, sure. and but I'd never seen you post like that was posting the picture of your notes seemed <laughs> to be just some sort of like I can't. I, I, there are there are no words. This is just a, <laughs> it was it was a seismograph of your emotional yeah. reaction <laughs> to it. That that is what it was. I have posted notes a couple of times before. Once I posted notes from uh, just a, just one line of my notes from uh, like a Transformers movie. I think it was I think it was like the, the fifth Transformers movie where I, I had some line like "What the hell is going on?" Um, something like that because I, I just I found that movie baffling. I'd posted that, and I think there was some movie. I, I remember there was some movie where I. I might have even been like some movie like Captain Phillips or something like that, where at some point I just scribbled because the score was so overpowering. I just scribbled in my notes in giant letters, Zimmer. <laughs> and what's hilarious is what's hilarious is I don't think Hans Zimmer actually did the score for that movie. <laughs> but it's just like Zimmer. It was just like an exclamation, a German exclamation. Um, but yeah. But now this one was because I was posting multiple pages. It really was kind of like a seismograph. It was like, this is, yeah, these were well, the last things you heard from this person before they disappeared. <laughs> well, it got my attention because I, you know, I haven't, I could sense that you were really, really excited about it. And then I had to find out what it was. And then I, then my, then when I finally got to go see it at the Paris Theater, which was, mm -hmm. how much longer later was that? They had their one week. They had, a, they, they, they started screening it while i was at the venice film festival so the film premiered like september 2nd or something at venice like had its mm -hmm. world premiere um and then i think like 
September 9th or 7th or something like that. It actually started, it had a one week run at the Paris, very little fanfare, very little marketing, you know, basically kind of a contractually obligated run. I think, um, mm -hmm. I don't know that there were that many people that I would have gone to see it if I was in town. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but well, I'm glad, not, I'm glad you saw it on a big screen, man. I, I, cause what was it shot in? What was the, uh, originating? It was shot in, it was shot in IMAX digital, um, or, wow. or the, you know, the airy 65, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not, you know, it's not, it's not the size of like your typical enormous film IMAX camera, but it is still a very big camera. And, you know, there's actually a documentary on Netflix now about the making of the film. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but um, it's like 30 minutes long. Um, and you see how they shot some of the, like you see how they shot the van sequence in the, in the opening 11 minute shot, long shot of the film, where, you know, they're passing a camera back and forth. Like it, you know, there's a cameraman inside the van and then there's a cameraman strapped to a motorcycle <laughs> outside and they're like passing this IMAX camera back and forth to sort of, and then doing circles around the van and then passing it back in and stuff like that. I mean, this movie, it's like, you know, and, and you see the guy, you know, rigged up to the motorcycle. It's like something out of Fury Road. I mean, this is, this is the movie the war boys would have made, you know? <laughs> it's, um, well, when I went to go see it, um, I was maybe the only person in the theater. Wow. Hey, I, and maybe, that's how oh, I was. <laughs> maybe only like out of maybe there was one other person. I don't remember, but it's a huge it was, theater. Yeah, it's a huge it's theater. Just, and yeah. and I had I was having, you know, subway problems that morning. So I got there a little late. Um and I bought my ticket online. So when I came through, I was like, where's the box? I came in kind of running, you know, like where's the box of it? And luckily the people at the Paris Theater must have been fans of the movie could see what was going on with me. And they're like, they're like, just go. Just go. <laughs> so I I ran into that theater, and, and you know, and knowing how the movie starts, it felt like it felt like the story had already started for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like I came running into the theater. <laughs> Other people told me to just go, 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 get in there, and I got in there, and, it's, and I was about two minutes in. Uh -huh. So wow. luckily, I didn't miss too much, and then sure, I had to sure. go back and you know, I've watched it a few times since then. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what do what do you I don't know much about this director. Hmm. What can you tell us about him? Well, he is, like I said, he's the son of Costa Gavras, who is the, the legendary filmmaker who did uh, Z and uh, Missing with Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek. Um, and he did State of Siege and he did uh, The Confession. Um, and then in the U.S. he did Music Box. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, he's, he's had a very notable career. Um, he's a, he's a filmmaker who tackles, who tackles explicitly political subjects. The, the father, I'm talking about the father here, Constantine Costa Gavras. And he's a, I believe he was exiled from Greece. So, you know, most of his films he made, I think in France and he lives in France and, and, you know, Roman Gavras, who's one of several kids, um, that Costa Gavras has had, who I believe are all in filmmaking you know, grew up in France. So he's a French filmmaker, essentially. Um, and um, he uh, he's made two other features before this, uh, one called um, uh, Our Time Will Come, I believe, and the other one called uh, The Day Is Yours um, or something like that, um, or The Future Is Yours or something. Like that. It's, it's a line from Scarface, but it's a, it's a, it's a comedy about a, about a, um, uh, about a drug dealer. 
Uh, and then the other one is actually this kind of weird um, drama about two redheads who are just like being discriminated against and being brutalized because of their hair. It's kind of a weird little political allegory. And then they it starts off almost like a comedy, but they eventually, you know, it becomes very surreal and they eventually become kind of skinhead reactionaries. Um, and uh, but he's also he's also primarily known for the music videos that he's done, um, including, you know, No Church in the Wild and Bad Girls and, and very kind of controversial music videos filled with scenes of violence and things like that. Um, this film is nothing like his other movies. And, and in, in some ways, it, it feels more like when I say this film, Athena is nothing like his other movies. It, it feels much more like um, it does feel like his uh, music video for No Church in the Wild a little bit. Uh, which is a Kanye West Jay Z song, um, and uh, but also it feels in many ways like he's kind of tapped into some of the same things that his father tapped into as a filmmaker. Because one of the things that really um, uh, that distinguished Costa Gavras as a filmmaker, especially as a political filmmaker, is that he was also a very entertaining political filmmaker. Like Z is a great kind of political thriller, but it's also a very rousing political thriller. Like it ends with, you know, people being marched off to prison with like music booming and things like that. He was, he was a guy who was really into the actual filmmaking of it. Uh, and it was like politics as showmanship almost. Um, and I think that Romain Gavras in this film kind of, you know, connects to that tradition a little bit. This idea that you're making a film, a very topical film about, you know, a politically fraught subject, but um, there's no reason why it can't be just, you know, a balls out entertaining, you know, pulse racing kind of film. Um, and it's it's weird. We we don't really see that. I mean, we'll see action movies that have a little bit of political subtext and things like that. We rarely see one that starts with this kind of and, and political is maybe not the right word, but this kind of important social subject. And then it's just like, okay, and now, you know, fasten your seatbelts, you know? Um, right. And that's, that's one, you know, that's one of the things that I think makes it kind of a special movie. And one of the reasons why I was a little, little disappointed that more people didn't see it because I think people would have really connected to it for that reason, partly for that reason. Um, but the other thing about Romain Gavras is, you know, his father, cause I, I did interview him a couple of times and his, he said that, you know, his father really, you know, gave him and his siblings a, a grounding in cinema, in film history. Like he was he was not, you know, one of these hands off uh, parents who was always off making other movies and, and didn't have time for the kids. Like his kids saw all the movies like he's, you know, Roman, Roman told me that, um, you know, by the time he was a teenager, he'd seen like every Soviet film and things like that. <laughs> Uh, and it was a very political family, too. Um, and, uh, you know, his sister, Julie Gavras, some years ago made a film called Blame It on Fidel, which is funny because it, it can it makes like an interesting um, it would make an interesting double feature with Athena because it's about an uprising at a school. But it's like mm -hmm. kind of a comedy. It's like a political comedy uh, allegory set in a school in the 60s where there's like a, you know, political uprising. Um, and uh, and. You know, it's funny. Roman told me that his sister's original name was going to be Fidelita. Uh, 
this is how political this family was. They almost named their daughter Fidelita, um, but I, I believe uh, they finally settled on Julie. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's so he's a guy who comes from that world of like serious filmmaking, but is also grounded in the you know in in music video stuff, and is also grounded in popular filmmaking like Scarface, like Star Wars, you know, like presumably, you know, Christopher Nolan movies and things like that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, another reason why I think this film really connected or I really connected with this film because it felt like I was, I shared some DNA with the people that made it. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is kind of the movie I, I wish everyone would make, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, as far as people connecting to it, I showed it to my nieces over while they were visiting and they're between you know uh 15 18 around there Mm -hmm. and you know they don't watch movies like this normally Mm -hmm. they only watch it because i made them (laughs) and but it it's irresistible like once it started i'm sure they were thinking like oh uncle brian is going to make us watch one of his weird movies (laughs) and then they were so into it and i I don't see how it's got such a pull i don't know how any and it's why it's so frustrating that it hasn't had the the word of mouth and the box office that it deserves. A lot of it is marketing. I mean, it, it's funny because the Netflix, you know, the, the world of marketing and publicity often get sort of um, conflated, but they're two very different things, right? Publicity, PR, that's basically, you know, what the Netflix people were doing in trying to get me to see the movie, Right which they succeeded in doing. Uh, and they succeeded in getting other people to see it as well. And, but they can only do so much. They can't, you know, force you to see it, you know. Um, marketing is different. Marketing is getting ordinary people, the civilians, to see it, mm-hmm. right? And that requires things like posters and trailers and, you know, ways to kind of get word of mouth out. Um, and Netflix doesn't do that, you know. I mean, unless it's for one of their really big titles that they're going to spend a ton of money on, um, they just trust the algorithm. They're just like, this thing is going to go on the platform and the people who mm-hmm. like this sort of thing are going to discover it or not, but really it's it's none of our business. And it's 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 sad because I'm kind of like, oh, there's clearly an audience for this movie out there. Um, but I don't know that they're going to find it through the, through the algorithm, you know? Mm-hmm. It right. never shows up for me. I mean, I've, I've watched it on Netflix as a screener um, when it was a screener, you know, when they do screeners for critics, they put it on the platform under kind of a different, you know, different rubric. So they don't, that doesn't, that doesn't register as me having watched that movie. And, you know, last night I actually rewatched it on Netflix properly, like an actual Netflix viewer might. Um, it has no record of me having watched it and it has never surfaced for me. And all the stuff I've watched on Netflix, I have never gotten a recommendation for Athena. You know, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm that movie's ideal audience. Yeah. So maybe the algorithm is not working. Yeah. So. Uh, well, this is kind of a different subject, but we may talk about this as well real quick. I know it's four o'clock now, but um, I just saw last night, I just saw the 70 millimeter of uh, Babylon. And oh. <laughs> that's another one that's like, yeah. and that's, and that's domestic. And that's one of oh, our yeah. supposed to be one of our, uh, uh, you know, favorite children. You know, mm-hmm. as, as in, in in cinema right now, Damien Chazelle and how much did that thing cost to make? Oh, I think it's like an eighty million dollar movie. That's what I heard. Something like that. Yeah. And it's made like three point five. Uh, 
four. Yeah, four. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's 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 probably made a little more than four at this point. Um, that's a movie that, I mean, I, I I love it. I don't love it as much as Athena, but I I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And it certainly deserves more than the, the the zero press it seems to have gotten because I, you know, Anson and I were just talking about it. I've never seen a poster or a trailer for that movie. Well, that's funny because I see posters and trailers for that everywhere. Um, oh, okay. So, 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 no, but this is not. This is this is a problem that that now exists because, I mean, how did we used to discover movies? Right? We might see a we might see a trailer when we go to the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Right? That was a common. That's how I. That's still how I discover half the movies I see. Um, we might see a poster at the movie theater. We might see a poster uh, on the street. Uh, we might see a TV spot, maybe sometimes. Uh, TV spots never did much for me, but, you know, they were out there. Um, we would see, and this is the primary way I discovered movies, was newspaper ads, right? There were, there were newspaper ads. You'd open the newspaper, and there'd be that whole section of the paper with, like, the giant ads and the critics' quotes, and they were so exciting. You'd see a movie that had, like, 30 critic critics quotes on top of it and like a bunch of four stars and you're like, yeah, I got to see that. That sounds like it's amazing. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, or like magazines would sometimes have posters, you know, little um, ads. And, and the thing I always think about is movie advertising is like the only advertising that people actually enjoyed <laughs> and saw. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was the last time, <laughs> you know, like, cause I, I would do this as a kid and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but like I would tear out, you know, newspaper ads for movies sometimes and put them on my wall um, or for magazines sometimes because the magazine ones were in color. But, you know, I would do stuff like that. When, when was the last time anybody did that for a car ad, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or like a stereo ad? I mean, you might take, you might tear it out because you want it, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, or like trailers, like people still watch trailers. People like trailers. Like, you know, like, you know, when trailers premiere online, they'll have a trailer for the trailer. Like, you don't do that for car ads. You don't see that for car ads. I mean, these are just annoying things that we just want to zoom past when, you know, when we're watching TV or whatever. Um, but movie ads, people like movie ads. And we've kind of created a system now where those movie ads, like, can't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. People really don't read newspapers. I mean, some people right. do actually read newspapers, but they're not. They're not. There isn't that huge section now of newspaper ad, news movie ads in newspapers um, or movie listings, for that matter. Um, and you know, magazines, forget it. Um, I mean, people still go to movie theaters, but it's kind of this like more of a echo chamber now because you know, you you might go to a movie theater, but if that movie theater is not going to be showing that specific movie, they may not run the trailer for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I have I have seen ads for Babylon, uh, but yeah, that, that film is a weird kind of, you know, I, I, it also suffered, I think, um, because it opened on the, I mean, it was the same, it was the weekend after Avatar, second uh, second weekend of Avatar, but it opened at a time you know, we had the, the deep freeze storm happening, which mm. actually really hit a lot of box office. It also affected Avatar's second weekend box office. Um, and I think Babylon probably would have made a lot more money had that not happened. But then one, once it kind of flopped because it didn't make that much money, then the word went out that it was a flop. 
and so suddenly when something is deemed a flop, then people just, you know, kind of stay away. Right. You know, you right. know? But and, never mind why. Just it yeah. gets that right. right. My timeline is full of people discovering Babylon and, and going crazy for it. No, your point about where people are going to see trailers is a very good point. I mean, the closest thing we have is that when you go to Netflix, there's that thing that auto auto blows up a thing, but people are just annoyed by that. And it's yeah, it's super annoying. First of all, it's always the fucking Witcher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost never something I actually want to see. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 auto plays. It's annoying. You don't want it. It's also not a trailer. Um, it's, it's not like. A trailer like a random scene or something um you know it's it's, just, it's not designed here's a question um maybe, i'm sure you know something about this uh you know the web is just littered with a bunch of annoying ads you know we go buy a table saw and now everything i look at has a table saw up in the oh, corner yeah. why can't have the i've just i just now that i asked this is the first time i thought about it i don't recall ever seeing movies being uh, other than if you go to IMDb, I mean, they, they do these pop-ups and banners and stuff. But uh, elsewhere, why, why, why aren't they being advertised like anything else? They are. Uh, but I think they're just kind of invisible. Um, I mean, if you go to – I mean, any a lot of websites I go to will have like a banner takeover, you know, knives out, glass onion, whatever. Um, but banner ads are annoying. That's the thing. Like I who love movie ads, like I who mm-hmm. like used to love newspaper ads and still buy posters and still enjoy going to the theater and make sure I see the trailers before the movie. Like I, you know, um, if I see a banner ad for a movie, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally transparent. That's the thing about internet advertising is it's transparent. You don't, after a while, you just don't notice it. It's there. I guarantee right. you there are movies being advertised at you all day long. You're just not seeing them because we have trained our eyes not to look at that shit because very often right. it's not movie ads. It's not like cool movie ads. It's like – I think it's know, another cook. table saw. Yeah, It's a table saw. It's fucking table saws. <laughs> yeah, and I'm ignoring it at this point because I'm yeah. like, um, whatever. I'm not even going to look a half an inch to the right. It's probably just another table saw. Yeah, no, that's uh, no, but that's exactly what it is. And that's the thing I think with movie ads is that they weren't coming on randomly. Right. There were mm-hmm. there were places for them. Like you kind of knew where you were going to get movie ads. I mean, you know, um, I mean, I, I remember, you know, this is this is I always thought this was so funny. Um, you remember, I mean, you know, we live in Brooklyn, obviously, um, and the Atlantic Center, um, which I haven't been to in a long, long time. So it's poss- it's possible it's still there. But there used to be right by the garage of the Atlantic Center. Atlantic Center is our mall or one of our malls here. It's got nothing. It's got like an Auntie Anne's pretzels and then like like a men's warehouse and a McDonald's. And I think that's maybe it. I think there's like a Chuck E. Cheese on the top, you know, where I used to take my son once upon a time. Um, and oh, I think there's like a Victoria's Secret too. But there's like five stores in this thing. It's not a mall really. But like for the longest time, right outside the parking lot, there would be this, there was this giant slot for a poster and there would be movie posters there. So much so that every time I passed by the Atlantic Center, I was like, is there a movie theater here? Because there's a movie poster here, right? And of course it wasn't. It was just, you know, they had, I, yeah. I'm sure it's not there. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's like a fucking crunch ad now. But, um, but uh, you know, it was, it was just interesting how, 
even just passing by a movie poster, like I would be captivated and suddenly I'd be like, oh, there must be a movie theater here. No, no, no. It's just the Atlantic Center. There's nothing. Um, then why, it was just a billboard. It was just another just a billboard. It was just it was just mm-hmm. a billboard. But it was kind of like something about its placement somehow suggested that there was a movie theater in there and that mm-hmm. there was not. Um but yeah, you know, it's it, and the big movies, like the big superhero movies or Star Wars movies or you know Avatar for that matter, you know, they will have their tie-ins. They'll do, they'll sponsor an NBA game or something. I mean, you'll, you, you know, if you watch enough sports, you'll see what movies are getting advertised. It, it ain't Babylon, <laughs> um, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, where does a movie like Babylon go to advertise itself to its audience? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it if it puts ads on during an NFL game, I don't know Probably that not. that's the best best way to spend it spend that money. But what's it mm-hmm. supposed to do? I mean, there aren't really shows for grown ups <laughs> anymore. So, or they're mm-hmm. on, you know, or they're on streamers. So you're not seeing ads, or the ads are really super annoying, and none of them are movie ads. Um, you know, so uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a very very weird conundrum, and I, I I feel like somebody's going to have to find a way to solve this. Like more so than any issues with theaters or the movies mm. being made, although those are issues as well. I feel like the biggest issue is just letting people know that there's a movie out there that they might be interested in. And this is a thing that's like over and over again. You know, you hear about people who just have no idea about some huge movie that's opening. And you're just like, how does this happen? Like 20 years ago, that's, that didn't happen. Everybody knew what the hell was coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how about well, how about we bring back uh, blimps and skywriting? That would be blimps, exciting. Skywriting, uh, weird they, real life flash mob stunts. <laughs> <laughs> if they if they went through the time and trouble to put a giant poster up on a blimp, it, I, I got to go see it. Yeah, yeah. That it's probably worth seeing it. I'm so glad uh, we talked about this. I hope I hope it encourages people to go see Athena. Um, well, I know that you've been sort of evangelizing for it. You know. <laughs> But it's amazing to me how many of my friends, how many of my critic friends still haven't seen it, you know? Here's and I'm kind of like, how does that happen? Here's a question. <laughs> I know I'm not trying, I'm probably, get, I'm probably getting this history wrong, but I know that at one point you did a thing, this is a long time ago, uh, that you kind of helped resurface Donnie Darko. Ah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, is, that, is that, is that kind of thing even possible to like, resurface something like Athena if it gets traction? Well, it, it it would depend on the distributor uh, being willing to kind of let let somebody screen it. The thing that happened with Donnie Darko, I mean, I, I the only part I played in that was going to the theater every fucking weekend, even when I was like the only person there. But I remember the the Pioneer Theater, the Two Boots Pioneer Theater in the East Village, which doesn't exist anymore, um, started showing Donnie Darko at midnights on Fridays and Saturdays, if I remember correctly. Um, and I had seen it. I had not seen it actually uh, when it came out. I had heard good things about it, but it was gone in like a week or two weeks. It was gone very quickly. And then I actually found like a terrible bootleg of it and watched that. And I was like, "Hey, this is this is great." Um, and then uh, and then the two boots started showing it at mid at midnight screenings, and I started going to those. And I loved the movie so much that I was there every weekend seeing it for weeks and this thing ran for weeks and it was it was so interesting because at first i was like one of two or three people in the audience it was a 101 seat theater um 
but then like every week more and more people would come and like you'd see the NYU students start coming in and then you'd see the older people start coming in and before you knew it Donnie Darko was a hit so I like to say that I, I played my part um, <laughs> but I played my part basically by like spending money on tickets and not having anything better to do on Friday, Fridays at midnight wasting my 20s um, but, single-handedly uh, you single-handedly saved it with yeah, your individual right. ticket birth. I could have been like clubbing instead instead i i helped resurrect donnie darko no but th- i've thought about that with certain films where i'm like gosh i wish i like maybe we can find a theater to just like have a screening and i'll get like as many people as i can out to this and then i'll convince them to run it again and again and i don't know how this stuff works really with with rights and things like that i do know you know i think netflix is kind of protective of its stuff because especially after it comes premieres on netflix it's like why would you want to show it in a theater There's, mm-hmm. when they can see it on the platform? But um, because but it yeah, is a I, big, I have thought about that. Because it is a big screen movie. It is a I'm big screen movie. I'm so happy I saw it on the on the big yeah. screen. I mean, it's great, you know, in any in, you know on a big TV. But I haven't seen uh, a director that knows how to move a camera through space through vistas like that. And I don't remember the last time I saw that yeah. in a big screen. It's it, it's so rare. I mean, I see a lot of films that I think are, are beautifully shot, but, you know, in terms of camera movement, I mean, I'll see a lot of movies that are like fancy camera movements, but this mm-hmm. actually film, this film actually moves the camera so well and so pointedly, like each character in the film, we're really getting into the movie again, but each character in the film, the camera follows them in a different way. And then that mm-hmm. those movements develop over the course of the film as the characters change, like there's so much going on visually in the film that speaks to the character's inner states and, and, and their psychologies. Like I've heard some people complain, Oh, you know, you know, Athena's a lot of razzle dazzle, but there isn't much, you know, character development. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the razzle dazzle is the character development, you know, like Mm -hmm. that. And that's cinema. Like to me, that's cinema. It is not, you know, it's not a book. It's not, this is not a thing that you could turn into a novel and it would be the same. It just would not. This is, this is all visual information. And, you know, sonic information. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the essence of cinema as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and that's really, you know, I mean, that's where the film's accomplishment lies. Um, and, and, you know, when you see it on a big screen, that really comes through. Like you really, because it sucks you in and you're, you're so kind of attuned to every single thing that happens on screen. You're not distracted by anything else. You're just totally locked in on what's happening. Um, so yes, I have thought about finding a way or convincing. I mean, I, I know some of the programmers at the various theaters around the city, and I've thought about asking them, um, just saying, hey, could we do an Athena screening? I promise you I will get people out, because I know so many people who wish they could see it on a big screen. Um, that would be so, great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, you and I went to go see, and my and, and Sharon uh, went to go see Tenet by ourselves. Right. We, yeah. paid, we paid for that. <laughs> I know, and I'm I killed to see Tenet again in a theater too. Um, and you know, I I will go see Tenet whenever it shows. Like uh, like the Museum of the Moving Image showed it in seventy millimeter, and I went and saw it there. And then um, the Nighthawk showed it. I went and saw it there. Someone else showed it as well. Every time I go, it's packed packed screening room i'm like somebody should just re-release tenet you, you, well we can quest you should quest again for a big screening of athena yeah. and you can count on my steel and my 75 bucks yeah would... there we go <laughs> all right cool the well is produced edited and recorded by anson mount and me brandon edgens 
theme music written by Jonathan Myberg and performed by Brandon Edgens. Special thanks for this episode goes to Bilga Eberi. It's always a pleasure to talk to him. And if you're interested in seeing the film that he made, along with uh, my help, uh, it is available. I just checked on Amazon. New Guy. Not the other New Guy. There's a couple of movies called New Guy. New Guy, directed and written by Bilga Eberi. There are new copies available on Amazon for $16.99 for a new one. Or there's a used copy for $6.57. You can't pass up a bargain like that. And while you're on Amazon, after you bought a copy of New Guy, pick up a copy of the soundtrack for Athena composed by Generation, uh, which I think is obviously uh, some sort of a, a street name for someone who calls himself Sirkin. That doesn't really clear very much up, but you've you can hear it in the background. I'm obsessed with this soundtrack. It's just massive. Buy it, play it as loud as you can. Until next time, have a good time. Music.